Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are The Worst Girl Gang Ever, a podcast and platform to support, educate and empower people through the heartbreaking experience of baby loss. This summer sees us launching our one-of-a-kind pathway to recovery. A course to shine a guiding light through these dark times. To find out more, visit our website www.theworstgirlgangever.co.uk. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined this evening slash this afternoon, depending on which time frame you're in, by... Time zone, you mean? Time frame, time zone, whatever. You always do this, Laura. You always ruin my flow. Wow, don't get it wrong. (laughs) Don't think it really matters. Maybe you should be less pedantic. (laughs) Anyway, um, obviously I can't remember what I was saying now, but here's Georgina from New York. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And we're here to talk today about Ashman syndrome. Yes. Yeah. 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 We did a post on it recently, didn't we? Did you see that? Yeah. And I was like, it's not something I'd ever heard of until no. I got diagnosed with it. And I mean, it is apparently deemed a rare sort of condition. So um, I think statistically it's like five it, to be a rare condition it's less than five in 10,000 people get it or something like yeah. that oh really um, and you know it's a sort of acquired condition it's not something that you are born with mm. um, and... so tell us how you acquired Asherman's syndrome then <laughs> yeah so for me my story is a little bit more sort of uncommon I would say the way I sort of came about my diagnosis as well was again sort of a little bit of a meandering road too so like most people trying to conceive uh that's a lot of fun isn't it well well, I thought it would be right yeah (laughs) one of those common misconceptions there right there (laughs) So I did get diagnosed with endometriosis in 2011, so so 10 years ago, 10 years ago, and I had a laparoscopy. And at the time, they said to me, you know, uh, this was in the UK as well, when I was back living back home in London, um, they said, oh, if if you have any trouble conceiving after a year, you know, you'll be able to get IVF on the NHS. Don't worry. So I was a bit like, okay. Anyway, I ended up moving around a bit. Um, But they put a Marina IUD in then. Mm. And for five years, I didn't have a period. I didn't have any bleeding. I didn't have any pain. I thought this contraceptive device was the best thing ever. Right. Um, and the thing is, they said, as soon as you take that out, start trying immediately because your endometriosis will all come back. And so, you know, you're sort of under the clock. You should, uh, yeah, try sort of straight straight away so I was kind of a bit nervous about trying and Mm. um, really wanted things to happen quickly it's a Um, lot of pressure as well isn't it yeah and when I took out the marina the biggest difference for me was that I had gone from having periods that were really really heavy so like five six days long you know at least three tampons a day kind of thing to getting a little bit of bleeding for maybe 48 hours just using a panty liner. And I was like, hmm, something doesn't seem right here. Yeah. 
Um, but I saw a couple of doctors and they were just like, wow, you're having a period. That's great. That means you're probably ovulating. And, you know, it was something that just kept getting dismissed because they thought, well, you are still bleeding. So, you know, that's, that's no big deal. Um, and then a year went by. And at that point, I think I tried Clomid. One doctor had prescribed me Clomid. And after the Clomid, because I didn't realize that Clomid actually can thin your lining. So I literally spotted for a few days afterwards. So even then it sort of something mm. isn't quite right. Um, so I was like, right, I think it's time to bite the bullet, go see a fertility doctor. Went to the fertility doctor, did a bunch of tests. Uh, sort of more blood test related stuff um, even sort of you know genetic testing sort of things yeah um, and all came back great um, one thing I had to go and do was go and do an HSG oh they're fun right what are they it's a My- hysterosalpingogram or something like that you say it much better than me I could <laughs> I didn't even want basically to- <laughs> they put this um this little tube you in in radiology so it's all done under x-ray and they put this tube in through your closed cervix which that's the bit that really hurts and then they squirt dye oh, so then they x-ray it so they can see whether there are any blockages um like an abnormal shape of the uterus and things like that so then what happened to me so so he was shooting the dye inside me and then he was like oh can you roll over oh can you can you just keep moving and I'm thinking what the hell is this kind of test? Like, what are they doing to me? He was like, oh, it's just not flowing in one side of your uterus. I was like, what do you mean one side? I didn't realise there were sides of it. Um, he was like, I think you might have a unicornic uterus. And I was like, oh, my uni- my uterus is a unicorn? What? <laughs> it's a cool name. Isn't this it? is amazing. <laughs> Best um, news ever. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, not such good news. Mm. But then... The doctor said to me, but you'd had a laparoscopy for endometriosis. So did they say anything about it then? It's like, no. I feel like they've gone down there with cameras. They would probably tell me about this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, at the time, would have thought it was a bit strange. They sent me for an MRI. It came back inconclusive. Um, but essentially, they looked at, do they call it a cavity back in the UK? Oh, what are they referring to? Uterine the cavity. Uterus. Yeah, the cavity. <sighs> I was like, oh, that just make me feel like a roast chicken or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but he sort of said, well, you might have this. It, it sounds like you might have a unicornic uterus where, you know, so one half of your um, uterus has developed only. So for most people, you have sort of two sort of sides and they sort of fuse together. It's sort of a a loose sort of heart shape, I guess, essentially a uterus. Um, and this is something you were born with if you have a unicornic uterus. And it's often only found out maybe, because I think you've got more at risk for preterm labor with a unicornic uterus. And so people often will have a C-section and you'll find out then um, there's no sort of often no real symptoms of it. Um, but, but it means that if you've only got sort of one fallopian tube attached, therefore it can be more tricky to get pregnant. So at the time he was like, your sort of your, your cavity um, looks a good size. I'm not too worried. You would be, you know, if you were to get pregnant, you would be monitored and you'd probably be more of a high risk pregnancy, but I don't foresee you not being able to get pregnant. Mm. I was just happy with that 
hearing that I don't foresee you like having any issues with getting pregnant. Yeah. What, sort of, what was your age at this point? So I was, yeah. And so I was about, I was just about to turn 33. Okay. Um, so, um, so I kept getting told, you know, you're still young. And I was thinking, oh, am I? But to be fair, I suppose in sort of fertility age, that is still considered sort of reasonably young. Mm. Um, and so we, I was able to move on to IVF and, and we, retrieval and that all worked out really well we got embryos they were tested um we got normal embryos so we were really happy um and I, but I just started a new job so I couldn't go straight on to do a frozen embryo transfer um so therefore uh I thought well I'll settle in for six months to my new job I felt so much better knowing that I had these embryos on ice I was yeah you know, thrilled with that, because I know that can be a real struggle for some people to, to even just get sort of, you know, viable embryos. Um, And um, yeah, and then in between time in that six months, I fell pregnant naturally, which (laughs) was the biggest shock of my life. The biggest shock. Um, And people talk about that, don't they? They all everyone knows someone that that's happened to. But um, Mm. yeah, it's, it does happen it yeah and I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it and I literally couldn't stop peeing on sticks Mm -hmm. um, yeah 10 of them before I actually believed it um and then I started to sort of feel changes in my body and so I again was like okay this is this is happening but the whole time I don't know I just had this nagging feeling in the back of my mind that I don't know I guess it had been so long trying I think at that point it'd been been about three and a half years at that point I think mm. um and uh and to think about how many ovulation sticks and how many pregnancy sticks I'd already peed on and like none none yeah. of those you know like was nothing was happening um but I couldn't stop googling miscarriage signs I just couldn't stop I was so so anxious and then I went to the doctor and here you can go to the doctor early and get sort of quite early scans so I think I got one um it was about six just about six six and a half weeks and there was a heartbeat and the doctor then said to me oh it's a little slow but it might be you know your implantation is actually perhaps not the time that we thought it was and he shook our hands and was like congratulations and I don't know I just again I like we recorded the um you know the video of of the scan Mm -hmm. And I played it back and I was like looking at how many beats per minute it was. And I was like, 80 beats per minute. That doesn't seem right. And I looked online and it was like, there's no chance that this pregnancy is going to survive, essentially. And then over the course of the next few days, I started to lose my pregnancy symptoms. So I went to go and see a different sort of OBGYN because I was not trusting this guy. And I then went in for um for a scan and there was that that moving and it like was not beating and you just just know and it's oh it's crushing yeah I think it just felt like after such a long time it I just started to faintly believe that it might be happening for us Mm. and and just as quickly as I, you know, doing it. And then it just, 
Ooh, oh, yeah. oh gone all gone it's so I think that's one of the hardest things isn't it it's just realizing that everything is is gone and and sort of the emptiness that that brings with it just I mean obviously physical emptiness of your body after you've experienced a miscarriage but the emptiness that you feel from realizing that it's all over is so sad find that like because I only really at that point had sort of seen miscarriages in on TV and the movies you know people go to the bathroom and they start bleeding and I just thought well I'm not bleeding though so yeah. why is why is this happening like this and I I was just you know the shock of it and and also I just so, so felt like I'd let down my husband you know to see how excited he was when we were you know he, you know again when he finally believed that we were pregnant and then you know seeing him so crushed too it mm. Oh, you know, and you just feel like it's, you know, it's your fault. And um, um, and then and then I didn't realise there were options for this miscarriage as well. You know, there was medical management or surgical management. And this was actually in December as well. And so I was due to come back home for Christmas a few days later. And I was devastated. I was thinking we were going to be going back home and, you know, fabulous early news um anyway I took the misoprasol I think is that right um this the tablets and I had read horror st- I suddenly looked it all up online I was reading horror stories about taking the tablets and uh it didn't work for me it didn't work um and I just had a really painful bowel movement <laughs> um oh. did not expel um, the baby um, and so therefore I went for a DNC um, went for the DNC and yeah and then got on a flight home went to spend time with family came back and I was desperate to be pregnant desperate to be pregnant again and so I thought we've got these embryos on ice I will start you know we'll try and do the fertility treatment yeah um so you know we're, we're you know fortunate I was just so focused on that um and another part of the miscarriage that I didn't anticipate either was um was that you can get retained tissue essentially mm-hmm. um tissue they call it was it product of conception product of conception that that beautiful term yeah not the nicest of terms I feel like but um but yeah when my hcg levels weren't going down um they took me in for a um a saline sonogram I believe it was and they saw there was tissue so I had to go for a hysteroscopy for them to remove it and at the same time they tested the tissue and I had chronic endometriosis okay and I remember googling this and it kept saying on google do you mean endometriosis and I was like nope I don't I mean endometriosis this is something different and I feel like there's actually very little information about that out there um and unfortunately these things are sort of risk factors dnc you know, infection for Ashermans. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, I did sort of two rounds of 
uh, antibiotics, sort of about three week courses of antibiotics. And then I think it took three months for me to get a clear biopsy that said that I could try again. After the miscarriage and after obviously everything physical that you went through, were you very much wanting to try again straight away or? I was desperate to feel pregnant. Were you? I was so desperate to feel pregnant. I was so frustrated by the fact that I had this chronic endometriosis and I had to take, and I took various rounds of antibiotics, had to have another biopsy and then it would come back and, and, uh, it still wasn't cleared up, so I just tried another so round. The waiting game, really. The whole waiting game. I was so frustrated. Yeah, I was so desperate to feel pregnant again because because I finally, I'd got, you know, to that. So next close, point. yeah. Yeah, I felt like, oh. Um, and then it was when I started to do the embryo transfer cycle that things, again, there were signs of something being amiss. Um, so, uh, my lining was very, very thin and this is a sort of, uh, red flag for, for Ashermans as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, my lining wasn't responding to estrogen at all. So my lining, I think the minimum typically they want to see in a transfer cycle is eight millimeters. Uh, mine was not even getting above four wow. uh, and I think the lowest they might attempt to transfer is six millimeters that's sort of pushing it um, and we tried various different medication protocols and nothing was working um, and my doctor's approach was just to keep trying um, diff- sort of different medical approach but the did you try um did you try anything alternative like herbs or acupuncture or anything like that? I tried it all. I was did doing you? the yeah, I was doing all the herbs, I was doing acupuncture. Acupuncture was the best thing of, about being infertile. I loved acupuncture. I'd never <laughs> I'd never considered doing it before, but I loved it. It was for me, it was so stress relieving. And my acupuncturist sort of almost became like a therapist to me as mm. well she was fabulous she really really helped you know I was trying different diets I was drinking beetroot juice pomegranate juice eating pineapple cores I was I mean I was anything and everything I was trying I even tried the abdominal is it like sort of massage which that was really a strange experience felt like the woman was massaging a little bit too low down <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's awkward like how do you even how do you even bring that up what sort of a massage parlor was it yeah where did you go is this a bad board <laughs> I didn't ask for a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I, I mean I genuinely try I was trying everything and it was sucking the life out of me yeah yeah all consuming and all in the meantime there are pregnancy announcements and you know friends just falling pregnant like that and you know Mm. friends going on to have their second or their third babies and I'm thinking to myself I'd look at Instagram or Facebook whatever and I'd see someone I'd be like she wasn't even with her husband Mm -hmm. 
when we started trying and oh, now but- second child How? that resonates with you doesn't it Laura big time yeah yeah I found it really yeah. difficult and that, do you know what I really felt like I cushioned myself away from uh friends with because a lot mm. of our friends with children are in the UK or in Hong Kong where we lived previously actually we don't have many friends out here with kids. and I think I sort of somehow sort of engineered that a little bit as well to cushion myself um but I also felt like I didn't fit in anywhere because you know I had friends that were sort of more still going out and doing things and so and you're like a mum without a baby you're ready you're you're living that life and then I wasn't really drinking a lot either Mm. and you know so I felt like I couldn't and then I was doing different diets and and, you know and taking different different supplement protocols and stuff and also you're really freaking miserable most of the time so actually you don't no awful so it was awful um but I started to get to my wits end with all of this and I decided that with the fertility doctor I was seeing I wasn't making progress you know like I kept getting this persistent thin lining nothing it wasn't responding to anything um, I was like, I've got to think outside the box here. And I came across a doctor who um, was using PRP, so platelet-rich plasma, and he was doing like a clinical trial. And this guy was based in Chicago. And then, so I did um, like a Zoom consult with him. And uh, he said, what I'm going to need you to do, he's like, I'll let you on the trial. Um, what I'm going to need you to do is to have... Um, you know, a saline sonogram just to make sure that um, everything looks okay in your cavity. <laughs> um, uh, so I was like, okay, I think this was just after Christmas. Yeah. And so I went to go and do it and the, just at my regular clinic and the doctor who did it was like, oh, I, I can't, she was trying to push so much saline in, but it wasn't going in. She was like, something's not right here. Um, I think you might have some scarring. I'm going to refer you to like a doctor who will, um, who would perform a hysteroscopy. I was like, oh, right. Okay. And I was pissed off at the time because I was thinking, oh, well, I want to go on this trial. And yeah. I, you know, I feel like I'm constantly having to course correct, you know, thinking, well, if I do this cycle, then, you know, and then you think okay well that one's not worked out okay so we're going to try this next and you know so constant course correction um and anyway so the this doctor um you know so said okay I, I won't know until I go in so with the hysteroscopy they go in with the um camera into your uterus and yeah it was completely scarred shut and there were really dense adhesions um, and he couldn't even clear all of the adhesions in that wow. surgery. Um, and so um, I was shocked when I came yeah. in the surgery, absolutely shocked um, and knew that it wasn't a good prognosis. Um, and um, so... So yeah, this scarring, um, 
So typically with Ashermans, um, for most people, it, your risk in terms of risk factors for Ashermans, like having a DNC is a risk factor. And I feel like by saying this, you know, obviously for people going through a miscarriage, that is sometimes your only option is to have a DNC. And, you know, you shouldn't delay a DNC because all of a sudden, you know, you may be perhaps you're concerned about getting Ashermans from a DNC because if you delay your DNC, you can equally have an, an infection and that can bring about mm. its own complications and stuff. And it's probably important to say that you're unlikely to get Ashermans from having one DNC. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've had friends who've had DNCs and none of them have Ashermans. Mm. They've all gone on to have pregnancies, babies, absolutely fine. The more DNCs you have, it can increase yeah. your risk. Um Having retained tissue, so that being the product of conception um, or or even placenta. So if you have delivered a baby and um, and you've had you know, uh, retained placenta to, to remove that, that can increase your risk of Ashermans too. Uh, it's typically sort of where there is some trauma to your uterus. Um, and to be honest with you, why does it happen in one person and not the other? Something they have not quite figured out yet. There may be something genetic there that makes you more predisposed yeah. to that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, potentially I'm, I'm more predisposed to it. And also getting an Asherman's diagnosis is not, does not mean you are going to be infertile. You can't carry. Sadly, that was the case for me, but that's not, the case for everybody sometimes the adhesions can be cleared and then you can go on to have a pregnancy typically you are at more risk at pregnancy loss if you have you know had ashamans and you are at higher risk of placental issues as well during your pregnancy so you're likely to be sort of more monitored but 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 people do go on to have mm. healthy Pregnancies, healthy babies, um, mm. but yeah, and then there's then there's a proportion of people who, sadly, the scar tissue just keeps reforming, and they don't quite know what why that is yet, and um, and that was the case for me, and so and so. What were your thoughts when you got that diagnosis and you were given the prognosis? What? How do how do you even begin to deal with that? Yeah, it was. What was interesting was that when I kept getting thin, thin lining during the fertility process, the doctors had already sort of said to me, you know, have you thought about gestational uh, surrogacy, like mm-hmm. gestational carrier? Thinking, what are you talking to me about this for? Like, you know, I, surely this is... I've got a U and I'm going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and also I'm like... I'm not Sarah Jessica Parker, you know, I'm just, <laughs> just Georgina, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm just a regular person. It's, you know, I'm not some kind of celebrity. I just assumed it was all these sort of celebrities who kind of, who, who do this, not sort of regular people like me. Um, but I, then I, I, I started to think, okay, if this is something that might happen, I'd started to sort of already, look into 
how it works a little bit mm. more, just to dip my toe into it, just in case of that eventuality. I never actually dreamed that that would be how we would start a family. Never dreamt mm. that's how it would happen. Um, so I feel like I'd sort of started coming to terms with the fact that I might not carry. And then the pandemic hit. I was meant to have gone for another surgery um, to try and clear the scar tissue. The prognosis was terrible for it, but I was just still in that zone of, yeah, of course, you know, I, searching for miracles, I guess. Um, and really, like with everybody, you know, you're stuck in quarantine, the world's gone to shit, and mm. you start thinking about what's really important to you. And I think my husband and I realized it, for us, having a baby was important mm. and me carrying that baby, you know, it was, it's sad not for that not to be a possibility, but, um, but essentially that's one part of becoming a mother and, you know, and being a mother is so much more than just carrying your baby. So definitely, like if it was an opportunity that was available to us, that's, something we would do and so yeah it really sort of helped us to reevaluate our priorities and to be honest with you I felt somewhat relieved to be off that constant treadmill oh I bet yeah definitely everything for a while I just I always said that I just wanted someone to tell me Laura just give up just give up it's not going to happen just just give it up all right and I would have I kept telling myself that I would find it easier if someone would just tell me, look, Laura, you're not going to carry a baby because then, then that is done, isn't it? Decision made. Yeah. I can imagine that just being a bit of a relief that, yeah, gosh. Oh, yeah. And it, so what's going on now then? So, yeah, we, we started looking to surrogacy and, and we, well, are fantastic surrogate is currently pregnant and fantastic pregnant now how how far insane six months amazing you'd asked me this time last year whether I thought that we would be where we are today I'd have been like absolutely not because I was still in the mindset of thinking things wouldn't work out you know because nothing seemed to have worked out it was just constant failure 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 yeah one knock after another it just yeah and uh so it feels hard to believe that things might be different and so how far away does she live so she lives uh just outside Nashville Tennessee oh that means nothing to me how how, how long does it take to see her (laughs) like a two-hour flight away oh or a 13-hour drive which we did do once because pandemic right (laughs) Um, gosh yeah and so we um so in terms of figuring out how to go about surrogacy um I believe you've spoken to somebody who's done sort of more of an independent style uh, surrogacy in the UK yeah like like dating they got hooked up on Facebook yeah, so for us, we ended up going via an agency. So I guess it's a bit more like a dating agent. Not that I use one, or I don't, do they still exist with Tinder around? I don't know. But <laughs> Not <no>. sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we had 
friends of friends uh, we were sort of put in touch with who had just had a baby via um, a surrogate using this agency. Uh, they were so helpful uh, sort of helping us navigate it because it's quite a lot. It's quite very complex. It's a very complex process and there are quite big differences between the US and the UK. Um, and I felt fortunate to find ourselves here in the US um, because, and actually it does vary state by state, the rules, because actually living in New York City, um, commercial surrogacy was illegal up until February of this year. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, it's very state to state. It really, it varies. Um, and also different sort of factors as well as like whether you are straight or gay, whether you <laughs> donor eggs or sperm or not, um, will influence where you can do surrogacy in the US as well. Right. So for us, therefore, an agency sort of helped navigate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you say commercial surrogacy, that's um, so in the UK, people think surrogacy is, is illegal, but surrogacy itself is not illegal, but commercial surrogacy is. So here in the UK, if you haven't listened to the previous podcast with Francis you can pay someone's expenses but you can't actually pay them for being a surrogate you can only pay their expenses so in the US presumably you're paying a lot more money yeah so you I mean if you had a sister who was gonna you know be your surrogate for you probably unlikely you'd pay her you know um but in again it varies state by state but but on the whole, yeah, commercial surrogacy. So you can pay your surrogate. And I genuinely believe if a stranger is agreeing to take a risk with their own health um, in order to help us start a family, I I don't have a problem with them being compensated in some way. Mm. Um, and also the other bit that I piece that I like which differs from the UK is that, you know, we enter into a surrogacy agreement, which is a legal contract. um, And that is binding. Whereas in the UK, surrogacy agreements are typically sort of made, but they're not enforceable by law. No, this is something that is actually changing in the UK in hopefully they think maybe as early as next year, there are like sort of legal consultations underway so I do think things will be better um but again another difference is from birth our names are going to be on our child's birth certificate yeah and that for us is really important it's mad that I I always think that it's mad that these rules there was such difference in in rules and regulations in one world I just think that's crazy. Well, even in it one doesn't... country, like you say, in the US, yeah. lots of things are different yeah. in different states, aren't they? And here, like, look at the postcode lottery of um, of IVF in this country, yeah. and we've got a tiny country. It's it's just mental that there isn't any. Surely there is a rule that should be adhered to by everyone. Yeah, yeah. To make everything and... fair, but there's just not. It's not. No. And yeah, and it and it is very unfair in different areas of the country here as well. You know. 
I mean, we are essentially extremely lucky, extremely privileged that my husband has a good job. He has got good health insurance. That health insurance included some fertility benefits. So we did get some, uh, you know, some help towards fertility costs. Mm. But that's not required in every state. So, um, you know, in Tennessee, even where our surrogate lives, um, that you're as an employer, you're not required to give any kind of fertility benefits. So I think, gosh, some families you know, IVF is, it's an expensive thing to do. And, yeah. you know, like, so, yeah. And I mean, we're even really lucky that um, my husband's employer has a surrogacy benefit. So we have received oh, wow. some contribution towards the cost of surrogacy because, you know, the stuff, the cost of surrogacy in this country is uh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. A lot. And yeah. So, so I feel like in all we've been we've been really fortunate. Gosh, what a journey you've had. That's incredible. And I'm so, so pleased that it's ending, you know, with a with a baby and that you're nearly crossed. Yeah, of course. But you're so twenty something weeks. Uh twenty-six weeks. Twenty-six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Um, Are you starting to get excited? I am, yeah. Yes. It, I, yeah, I am, and, and also a little nervous. The one thing that I found really difficult as well was that people kept still saying to me, "Oh, you know, it's you know, it's great the whole you're doing surrogacy and stuff, but you, you know, you never know; it might still happen with you." Oh, shut up! And I found that quite difficult because I was like, "It's been mm. a lot for me to come to terms with not being able to carry my own baby." Mm, yeah. Then, to be constantly have, and also I have to admit the one thing also that I found really difficult is that sometimes my period, my very light, tiny period, non-existent sort of period type thing, um, you know, it, it's a little bit irregular sometimes, and there's that little bit in my mind that goes, "Is it? Could it be? Oh. Could I be?" And I have still peed on a couple of pregnancy tests. It happened, didn't it, to Caprice? Do you remember? She had a baby by surrogate, and she and she gave birth to her own another baby that she carried, like two months later. Wow! See, and so, and I read uh, Lisa Faulkner's book about. Oh yeah. Because uh, she went on to adopt, because she uh, went through IVF and everything, and, and it, for her it didn't work, and they think it was an implantation issue and stuff. And she said it wasn't until I think like menopause essentially that that little sort of maybe do you think mm-hmm. oh, could I could I maybe get pregnant still that and also still the disappointment of seeing your period each month you know I think that's something yeah. I've got to learn to live with the fact that it's yeah it it's still not maybe perhaps I'm still not fully accepting of, of the fact that it's it can't happen but it's a journey isn't it I think you've already been on such a huge fertility journey from from way back when that it, it's not easy to let these things go and accept them and and move on but and that's just I guess a, t- a time thing yeah I still don't have all the answers about my Ashermans I contacted a couple of experts during pandemic because I wasn't able to go and see them um and we think the reason that I had 
the unicornic uterus like that are they he, he's like I don't think you have that I think you've had Asherman's well I think you've had some form of scarring in your uterus yeah. for some time and he thinks that perhaps it's something to do with them putting the marina in some kind of trauma oh, oh right it could be that I got an infection then or something essentially what the marina does is it estrogen is uh, what helps you build your lining so it stops your body from uh, producing estrogen so therefore your line doesn't build and that estrogen is actually very protective for your lining so if some kind of trauma had happened there he was like you've got no estrogen helping to rebuild it and anyway so okay yeah so I kind of feel like there's like sometimes you just don't get all the answers but even with access to all so the true world you don't get all the answers um and then also I feel like you know what I knew deep down the fact that my periods being lighter after having the marina out something wasn't right and I was dismissed a lot by doctors and I feel like that happens to a lot of women definitely I just really feel like you know if something doesn't feel right and your doctor's not listening to you just you keep you know your body best and so keep Fine. Yeah, keep, keep pushing which is hard when you're exhausted and you know you feel when you've like got everything else going on as well but it is so important and I think Laura can uh, Laura can speak up more than most about that can't you Laura it's um it's so important to keep going and keep 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 going with different for yourself yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. do you have to be your own like best like health yeah. advocate I think and uh, so yeah so my Asherman's scenario is it was not a typical one um perhaps but but yeah but if you if you're getting persistently thin lining you know if you're if you have noticed a change in your period flow after having a dnc for you know a few months you know go and see your doctor mm. if, if you can get a hysteroscopy you know perhaps there is something there uh, that needs investigating and it's better to know right it's better to to be armed with the knowledge yeah sooner rather than later oh gosh thank you so much for for explaining us you know to us everything that's happened to you and we're just so pleased that you've that you've managed to find a surrogate and that you're oh, yeah. on the way to hopefully everything we look forward yeah. to your happy news in a few months yeah time. absolutely keep in touch won't you yeah, we'll do. Thank you so much Good. for having me on. Not at all. Yeah, I'm nice to meet you. It uh, might help somebody out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will. Yeah, definitely. All these things just need to be out in the open because they're the best form of resource, aren't they, is other people's absolutely. personal experience. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, wow. Lovely, Georgina. Will you Enjoy get... the rest of your day. Yeah. Is it hot in New York? It's a lovely day today. Is it? Hate to say it's like 21 degrees. And oh. Bloody pissed it down all day here. Yeah, yeah. it's been miserable. Yeah. It's England for you. Yeah. I feel like this time last year, though, you guys were having all the lush weather and we were yeah, it was roasting quarantine and it was it was raining miserable here. So, <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> we'll accept it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Thanks, Georgina. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our Pathway to Recovery, please visit our website.